And how I know this is because they sold camel meat, camel milk, all kinds of different foods in their grocery stores, which I was not used to. So whatever I had eaten, it definitely did not agree with me. Welcome to the Waiting Game Podcast, a podcast where I attempt to bring more dialogue into the world of Olympic weightlifting and share my experiences and perspectives in the sport and resistance training in general. It was a perspective I wish was more accessible during my earlier years of training, so here is my attempt to bring that value to those who may be seeking it. And welcome everyone to yet another weekly episode of the Waiting Game Podcast. I'm Brandon Wakeling, Olympian and multiple time representative at the Commonwealth Games. And this one's going to be a bit of a fun one for me to look back on as I've had a lot of experience in competitions all the way from the club level, obviously up into the Olympic level. Upon reflection, it's evident that each step up in competition has had its own unique challenges that people may not think about. So for this episode, it's going to be more aimed at those lifters that have those competitive aspirations to achieve higher levels in competition. And if that's not you, then that's fine, obviously. You don't need to be trying to make the Olympics if you're within a sport. So this may still be an interesting perspective for you that you can relate to other avenues outside of climbing the Olympic lifting ladder of competitions. And as the title says, there's going to be five stages of an Olympic lifter's journey up until the Olympic level. So I'm going to start at the club level and then move up until the state level as level two, then on to the national level then the international level for level four, then I've split that between level five being finally your landmark international competitions, such as the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games, just as your standard international competition and your landmark international competitions have a fair bit of difference between the two. So if you're someone that's aspiring to reach that next level of competition, then in this podcast, you may take a thing or two as to what to prepare for, what to look out for, and what to take on board once you are finally leveling up in competition. So let's do it. Let's start this story off. So starting off at level one, for the majority of lifters here, you're new to the sport, you're still building confidence in your lifting on the platform while you train towards qualifying for your bigger competitions. Or if you're already an experienced lifter, competing at this level you're looking to obviously perhaps hit a PB, qualify for bigger competitions, or you're simply just competing for the fun of it. Now, the competitions are simply held at local clubs, so you don't have to travel for these events. There's not really any external pressures such as direct competition, fighting for medals. The weigh-in procedure is quite laid back, and the competition itself, in terms of the stage, just barely supersedes that of the environment given from training. So this gives the perfect opportunity to just enjoy yourself and lift without really having much to lose. If you're a new lifter, this competition will still give you an immense amount of nervous energy, seeing it's something foreign to what you're used to, but it's the perfect environment to start getting the comps under your belt to become more accustomed to that process of competing. I know for myself, in my first year of lifting, I competed 12 times within my first year. And I didn't attempt anything too significant in terms of weight until roughly eight competitions in, just so I can get used to making lifts on the platform and to get a feel for an event. Now, that isn't to say that an experienced lifter won't get nervous. If you're a competitor at heart, like I know I am, 
you'll always have that nervous energy because you're always wanting to perform at your best. And especially if you're experienced, you may have that expectation of displaying the performance of an experienced lifter, which I know that I have personally dealt with when returning to my local level competitions. Plus, it's worth noting for the experienced lifters that lifting at these kind of events may also have a qualifying total that needs to be hit within a certain time frame. So for those lifters, there may be that extra pressure that they need to hit X to qualify for world champs later in the year, for example. Now, let's say that you've lifted well here and you've hit your state qualifying total. This means you can move up to level two. And at your state championships, the stakes obviously rise a little here. You still don't really have to travel all that far if you lift centrally because these state championships are typically held within the bigger clubs in the state. Now, at these competitions, there's obviously medals up for grabs this time, and you have a direct competition. So there's a little bit more of a stage set and more people are in attendance. The weigh-in procedure is slightly more official, but still quite laid back, and there's plenty of familiar faces around. But everyone's simply looking forward to having a good time in the platform and doing their best to hopefully get a medal. Now, if you're an inexperienced lifter lifting at their first states, this competition will feel like a significant leap in competition. But you'll take a lot from this experience, especially in terms of performing under a little more pressure than you used to. And typically, once you've competed at this event, this is where most lifters come out of this experience pumped up to do more. Or as the old American weightlifter John North would say, you've been bitten by the bug of weightlifting. I know for myself personally, once I competed at my first state champs, that's when I was like, yep, this sport's definitely for me. So let's up the stakes a little from here. Let's say you've lifted at states, you've done well, you've got yourself a medal, and you've hit your national qualifying total, which I know is a significant jump from your state's qualifying total. So if you hit these numbers, you're either an experienced lifter or you're showing exceptional talent at an early stage in your competitive weightlifting career. Now this is where some travel is involved, and for most, we have to travel interstate as obviously it's the whole nation combined as one. So this is where you have to book flights, accommodation, buy groceries, making sure that you've got food for your pre-competition, post-weigh-in, etc. So this is where your typical pre-lifting routine gets disrupted to a degree. The grocery stores are the same countrywide, so that doesn't really matter all that much as you can still buy somewhat similar foods. But your accommodation and the living conditions that you're now under are different, which does make it feel different to your usual competition. And I know for myself, when I went to these events, I had that voice in the back of my head saying, I paid all this way, I paid the registration fee, I paid for the lifting suit, I better make it worth it. And I know that it shouldn't be there, as no one typically regrets even if they don't do well at the competition but it still adds that little extra element of pressure knowing that there's an added investment into the experience. Now, the competition itself is also a step up. The faces aren't as familiar. The weigh-in procedure is a little more official where you can't forget your ID, for example, and you're usually allocated a warm-up platform. And the stage in some of the venues around the country are in a mini theatre setting, or they at least have tiered seating available. And I know for myself, this was a big layer of pressure added to my first nationals. The competition also isn't simply just lift for a medal scenario, as there's a state versus state rivalry. So coaches put in work behind the scenes on the warm-up sheets to alter warm-up boards, and there may be some change attempts in real time to game against other states. 
So you simply just have to lift that weight on the day, whatever it is, and rely on your hard work taking over and hopefully getting you a medal, not only for yourself, but for your state. Now let's up the stakes once again. Let's say you're lifted at the national championships. You've done significantly well. You've taken home a medal. But most importantly, you've hit your C slash B grade total. I say slash C or B because some of these international competitions have C and obviously your higher tiered ones, or sometimes the same competition, just depends on the year, is B grade. So let's say you've hit your total and you've qualified yourself for a continental championships. And by continental, I'm talking about your Oceania championships, Commonwealth championships, Pacific games. Sometimes a world championships is B grade, but it just depends on the year that it's happening. This is obviously a huge step up from a national event. And more often than not, that you'll find that your lifters that are newer to this scene don't perform as well as you thought that they would. And this is to do with a variety of reasons that you may not be aware of or may not have considered. So of course, the first challenge that's involved in this level is the aspect of travel. So if it's a continental championship, it may be domestic, but for the fun of this level, let's just say it's not. So there's finally some international travel involved, usually not a super long stint of travel as it's just continental, but sometimes it's not. Example being, there was a small Australian team that lifted in Saipan this year, which I believe was the mini Pacific Games. And in order to reach Saipan, it involved over 30 hours of travel one way, which is a huge factor when it comes to performance, especially seeing that for these kind of events, we typically don't get a lot of time to recover after landing. Now, aside from travel, there's obviously another big factor at play here, which is food. Aside from the championships that have been held domestically, our international events at a continental level are held in countries with cuisines very different from our own, which can play a massive factor. An example being for myself is back in 2018, I went to my first ever world championships, which were held in Turkmenistan. And for those that don't know where Turkmenistan is, because not many people do, it's a country in the Middle East which borders Iran, and they obviously have very different foods than what we are used to back home. So, of course, while I was there, I was being cautious somewhat, as in I was avoiding the cold salads, as that runs a risk of food poisoning if not washed correctly. But I had eaten some kind of meat dish, which could have been anything from beef to camel. And how I know this is because they sold camel meat, camel milk all kinds of different foods in their grocery stores, which I was not used to. So whatever I had eaten, it definitely did not agree with me. So 12 hours before my event, going to bed prior that night, I contracted food poisoning. And that essentially kept me awake all night going to the bathroom. Now, I was lucky enough that I was still able to put it together on the day, even with having to run to the bathroom between snatching clean and jerks. But if I was, say, to have contracted that two, three, four days prior, I probably would have been far too depleted to even be able to lift what I had planned. So putting aside all the travel, time zone differences, dietary challenges faced, let's say you took all this on, you performed, and now you get the transition onto level 5, which is what people say is the pinnacle of, of weightlifting. Now I'm classifying level 5 as your landmark events, so being the Commonwealth Games and ultimately the Olympic Games. Now, these events don't provide as much of a challenge when it comes to travel and nutrition as you would think. Typically, because these events, they obviously have sponsors that are working with the Olympic Committee or the Commonwealth Games Committee, there's a lot of financial contribution here. So, 
Usually we fly well in advance to the event, sometimes even having a training camp along the way. So for this year's Commonwealth Games, we flew three weeks in advance. We went to Spain first for 10 days and then went into London with a week to spare. So we had that time to recover from the time zone changes and then also from the flying itself. Now for nutrition, the Commonwealth Games and the Olympic Games seem to follow the same blueprint when it comes to the food hall in the athlete villages. The food hall is open 24-7 and it caters for every cuisine all around the world so everything that you could possibly imagine to try give athletes the comfort of being able to eat what they used to back at home in the athlete village. So when we're putting travel and nutrition to the side in terms of not really providing as much of a challenge compared to the lower grades, this level has its own set of challenges and one being the difficulty of ticking all the boxes to even qualify in the first place. For the Commonwealth Games, it's not so much a challenge compared to the Olympic Games as to make the Commonwealth Games this year, for example, all you had to do was place within the top six in the Commonwealth by rankings in an international standard competition, which was held within the past year and a half. So any international competition between then, if you lifted a good total and after that time is up, if you rank within the top six in the Commonwealth, you then guarantee your ticket to go. The Olympics, on the other hand, was a whole different ball game. So to make the 2020 Olympics, for example, for myself, I had to compete at least five times in international level competitions within an 18-month period. And this 18-month period was then split into three different blocks in which I had to total at least once in each of these three slots and then two more additional times in any time frame that I wanted here. And what they did was they took your best four totals, one from each time slot, and then an additional one, and they equated that to a total Roby score. And the Roby score was essentially a percentage of the world record in your weight class at the time. I won't get too much into depth because it's very confusing. But what they do is they take your highest Roby score and they compare it to the rest of the world. And if you're the one in the Oceana region in your weight category that has the highest Roby score, then you're the one that gets the ticket to go to the event. So through this 18-month block, I competed in seven international events, traveling to five different countries within just 13 months to gain my spot. Now, aside from the qualification system proving to be far more difficult than your average competition, there's also another big factor that separates these kinds of competitions from the rest, and that is the media's involvement in these competitions. Now, typically once these events are announced, this is where the media's involvement really starts to kick in. So if we're talking about the Tokyo Olympics, once we had the team announced, we had a ceremony to formally announce the team where various news channels, journalists, and other media platforms were all in attendance to get their own interviews, photos, and then other media pieces to use. And then from there, all the way up until the event, there's many other media pieces you're then requested to be a part of in the build-up which is fine, but it definitely creates a buzz and pressure around the event. And then throughout all of that build-up, once the event has arrived, it's competition day and the process for the competition is as official as you could imagine. The weigh-in rooms have four officials at the desk to check passports and accreditation, and then you have two to three other officials at the weigh-in scales to watch you attentively while you weigh in. And once you've weighed in and you're ready to compete, the back warm-up room is riddled with cameras and officials everywhere. For example, in the Tokyo back room, once I went in to compete, 
Immediately on entry into the warm-up room, I had officials come over and request I tape over any branded um, items visible. So I'm talking my belt, my knee sleeves, and my undershirt that had a subtle branding tag right uh, where the, the lifting suit stopped showing. So once that's all taken care of and then you can start warming up, you need to begin warming up with cameramen front and center, essentially capturing every warm-up attempt to then use on TV or to use on the big TV screens that are playing to the crowd watching. And some of these cameramen can get pretty intrusive where I've had some stand on the platform while I'm doing my warm-up because not all the cameramen obviously know gym etiquette or even the sport. They're just trying to get their shot for the media, which is all part of the experience. And they not only get your warm-up attempts, but they then follow you all the way out up until the platform for your attempt. So after you go through all that, you finally walk out to the platform into a venue which has tiered seating, which holds roughly up to 5,000 people, I know, for Tokyo and as well for Birmingham. So definitely not what you're used to when it comes to the crowds and weightlifting back home. Now, these factors don't necessarily phase me all that much anymore as I've been involved in it a few times now. And if anything, I feed off of having the crowds there and all of that energy. But for someone who hasn't done it before, Approaching a bar filled with 5,000 people while the speakers at the venue blast a heartbeat monitor sound effect as you approach the bar, it's a lot of added pressure. But once the competition's all said and done, to have that atmosphere and to you to have been a part of that, you wouldn't have it any other way. And then another challenge for most, I know it was one that I dealt with after the first Commonwealth Games, was the come down from these kind of events. When you're leading up to an event like this, it's especially if it's your first one, it's hard to have any perspective on what's following the event. So for a lot of people, as they say, the post-Olympic blues, I think it's coined as, once people finally come back from all that buzz, all that attention, all the media, all that noise, and then come back to normal life, there is a weird transition phase where people just seem somewhat down and they're not quite sure where to then go from there. And it takes a while to eventually go back into normal routine and then look towards that next one. That's one that not too many people really think about, but I know that that's a big factor for a lot of people that finish the the training and the competing for an event that's had a four-year lead-up to then move on from that and then to continue on with life. Now that sums up levels one through five of a weightlifter's journey from a club level all the way up to the Olympic level. And it's obviously a journey that I've gone through myself so far in my weightlifting career. And if you're someone who is striving to reach that next level of competition, it's always good to be prepared and to be prepared to cope with the changes of circumstances once you're progressing to that next level of competition. Which obviously sounds contradictory when you think about it, but you can prepare for what can be controlled, but you have to be ready for what's unexpected. And I think I will leave it there for another episode. So thank you, as always, for everyone listening to the podcast. For those that have shared it, messaged me, left a review, I really appreciate it. I will catch you in the next one next week.